Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast. You're listening to another instalment of our trip around New Zealand provinces. And tonight we're joined by a man with a 20-year professional career who's played all around the world with some very impressive highlights along the way, including a T20 World Cup win. He's featured for Auckland in the Super Smash in 2013-14 and he's back now as performance and talent coach after some time with the Black Caps during their latest European tour. Luke Wright. Luke, we mentioned in the opener you've played all around the world um, as, a, as a player, but now coaching, uh, becoming that sort of journey. You're still, I think, going to play uh, for Sussex in the T20s, but is coaching the plan now for that next little phase of the career? Yeah, it's some, uh, you know, something I've really enjoyed and something I'm, you know, I'm hugely passionate about. I suppose, you know, I, I sort of deem myself as very lucky for the career I've had. I've um, pretty much achieved most of the things, you know, I always wanted to. So, I think for me, with coaching, it's almost trying to help those um, almost hopefully um, do some of the things I've done and, and more. And I think with anyone, if you can cut that learning down with the players and, and cut those years of learning, get them there quicker, then that would be something I'm hugely passionate about. But um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm trying to use my time as, as best as I can. I think once I became a T20 only player, it was almost for me then an opportunity. I went back to to university and got a master's in directorship of cricket to uh, in directorship sorry to try and help I've got all my coaching badges so just trying to do as much as possible but right now um it was an opportunity that gave us a family you know for a family to come back to New Zealand with my wife here um and it worked out perfectly really yeah well we're keen to cover a few topics we're recording this sort of early um in the week Monday the 17th so the Plunkett Shield as we were just talking about um, before we came on air starts tomorrow. Weather forecast looks like it might be um, all right. I guess first thing, how did the job come about with Auckland Cricket and, and what's your role going to look like um, day to day as I think performance and, and talent coaches that yeah, is on the business card? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I think, I mean, as far as I know, I think it's pretty much just uh, assistant coach, but, I, you know, it's quite a funky name, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was one of those, uh, you know, back end of, of my playing career, I've always sort of kept an eye out if anything comes up over in, in Auckland, especially. Um, you know, I've always sort of said to the wife and, and while the kids were, were young, we were always keen to try and come back this way and, and have the New Zealand lifestyle for the family. So, um, I, you know, the way this sort of originally worked was, um, you know, as soon as I saw an opportunity come up, um, I actually knew um, Daniel Archer, who's the, the director of cricket at Auckland, um, and wasn't sure if it was going to be able to work or not. And then I spoke to Doug Watson as well, who's obviously head coach. Um, and they were awesome, actually. You know, I went through the interview process and at the point of being offered it, um, you know, they, they were so accommodating, making sure, you know, there was flexibility there, etc. And I think for both parties, wanted to make it work. And, and luckily, we managed to do that. And, and I saw... Um just before in the Auckland cricket press release recently you've had a stint with the uh, England's deaf cricket team what was that experience like yeah do you know what it was it was actually amazing there were were, it was such a humbling experience um and I think they were just so you know so special to be with or so humble the such nice guys such nice people and um I, I really enjoyed it actually it was um it was early on in my coaching I think it was actually sort of probably one of my first coaching stints whilst I was still playing. Hmm. Um, and it was my brother, actually, Ashley was involved with them. He was actually coaching them more permanently. Oh, yeah. um, and he got me in to, to do some work with them. And um, they're absolutely brilliant. And, and obviously, you've got to adapt the way that you coach. And I, in, in death cricket, you know, they're not all fully death. There's obviously 
different um different levels um but still it was it was awesome to work with and and i suppose for me stretched the way that you got to coach and, and explain what you're trying to talk about which was great yeah cool and look um back to auckland you, the the squad you guys managed to get hit out against nd last week i think it looked sort of from the scorecard very much a pre-season game kind of everyone just trying to get out some time in the middle but i guess on the pre-season is you know you i suppose you've only been there a little while but is there any uh, people that have impressed you so far in, in the preseason? Do you know what I think? The, as as a group, they've really impressed me. I think you know I've been involved in a number of uh, preseasons, and I know how difficult they are. And um, I think that's one thing that struck me uh, massively was um, the levels of intensity from the guys. I was sort of kept waiting for those days where it was going to drop off, and I, I've been there myself when there's only so many nets or, or, or the same things you can do over and over again. And the boys have been absolutely awesome. Um, you know, they're, they're so desperate to, to carry on where they left off last year, yeah. the way they finished. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talent there. It's quite nice. We've actually got, we've obviously had others go off and be with the Black Caps. Obviously, Chapman's got himself in the World Cup as well as, you know, Gop and Locke. So that's been, that's been awesome news. So it, it actually gives us other opportunities. Um, but the thing we're trying to really do as well is not just look at those 16 contracts players with me and Doug Watson together, are desperate to try and help that wider squad um, and see some of those guys coming through. There's a lot of talent in Auckland, which is which is great. Um, but some of the younger ones on the list, you know, someone like Adi Ashok, I mean, he looks like he's going to be an absolute little superstar. And, you know, it's for us really trying to nurture him and, and get him in at the right times and the right conditions. But um, I... I, I I can see him playing a long time for New Zealand in, in the future, you know, in the future. He's he's as exciting a leg spin as I've seen at his age. Yeah, that's awesome. He, um, he was someone I was going to ask you about. Another one that sort of really uh, burst onto the scene last year at Plunkett Shield level was Simon Keane, someone that, um, you know, we probably hadn't seen a, a huge amount of. Um, but, I mean, what have you made of him so far? I mean, when you we look at the New Zealand cricket website highlights, we can't really go, I tell, I guess, what's what's going on. But it, it seemed like every time he turned up last year in the Plunkett Shield, it was five for after five for it was it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's a, I mean, first and foremost, he's a great guy. And I think, you know, his work ethics is awesome. And I think that's one of the things you look for as a coach. Um, I'd obviously seen all his his numbers, what he'd done last year, and um, they were phenomenal, you know, and it was a great story, actually. I think he sort of came in out of nowhere and you know someone was saying he almost played by it was almost by mistake someone got injured late on and it was a mix between two and he came in and, and absolutely you know had an absolute stormer um but he's got good pace um swings the ball away which is always nice swings it late um and the thing with him he's a real strong guy he's not the tallest but he's a real strong guy so you know he's got plenty of overs in him um, and he just, as I said, he, he he absolutely loves it. So in the nets and same with his batting, he can bat as well, which is nice, which we've probably not seen mm. that much of last year. So hopefully we'll see more of this year um, if he gets the opportunities. But um, yeah, he's, he's another one. Obviously, he's got, if he can if he can carry on doing what he's doing, then higher honours hopefully will, will come for him. But um, he's just trying to, I suppose, manage expectations as well for for himself as much as anyone else, you know. Mm you're not every day going to come in and be able to take Pfeiffer after Pfeiffer. I mean, hopefully he can, but, um, <laughs> but look, he's, he's worked really, really hard. And, um, you know, from, as I said, from where he is to, to where he is now is, is such a great ride. So it's a great story. And I think that's, what's great for anyone in club cricket, um, you know, waiting in the wings. It, it's a great story to see how, how quickly it can change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and look, 
This might be a bit unfair because you probably haven't had much time with the the squad yet. But we always, when we do these roundups of um, the different provinces, we kind of like to get a bit of behind the scenes chat as well. So um, I'm going to run through a few of the questions that we sort of ask to to all the provinces, and you can you can give it your best. Um, so I'll start with who's the chirpiest bowler in the nets? Who's kind of got the most to say when they nick someone off? Oh, um, do you know what? Actually, I think of our actual main bowlers, seam bowlers, they're pretty quiet. I think uh, William O'Donnell's probably <laughs> the loudest in the squad. So um, I would say whenever he gets a wicket in the net, he's, he's probably the, the loudest on all fronts. Yeah. And uh, who's the batter that thinks they're a much better net bowler than they actually are? Uh, that would be the skipper, Robbie O'Donnell, I think. He's uh, he's he's trying to bowl like Darren Stevens from England at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, not a bad bloke to try and copy, actually, but mm-hmm. um, especially if he can keep going until he's about 50. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Robbie's, Robbie's the one who's always picking up the brand new ball and the coaches have to try and take it off him because we've only got so many <laughs> with the budget. <laughs> and uh, have you thrown the pads on yet and made anyone bowl at you? I am gonna. I am going to in the new year. Yeah, the uh, you know I'll have a 2020 to prepare for. So the lads, um, it's given them a bit of energy actually. They they asked me if they'd get me in the nets to have a bowler around T20 time. So I said I'd stick them on and try and slog a few. But um, yeah, I'll see. A few of them are looking a bit quick for my liking. So I'll have to try and take on the spinners. I think. <laughs> nice. And uh, who's the most innovative batter in training? One that's trying to got every shot in the handbook and more. Um. Do you know what? We've probably got a couple. I mean, Ben Hornet's obviously typical sort of keeper with all these sweeps and, and, and everything. There's actually a real young lad who got a go last year, Ryan Harrison. Mm. Um, bit of a hockey background, but he's as good a sweeper, reverse sweeper as I've seen, actually. Um, you know, I think that's a, a modern thing, isn't it? For people to say, you know, a sweep or reverse sweep is just like playing the cover drive for a lot of as older players, but it's absolutely true. I mean, the whole way through pre-season, I've seen him do it to seamers, to spinners, everything. And um, he's another one, along with Addy, that I'm really excited about as well, who, um, from the moment I've seen him, been sort of quite excited about his future. Um, and hopefully he's going to get a bit of a run and and, and take it this year. But um, he, he looks exciting prospect. Nice. That's that's exciting to hear. We've seen Ryan play um, from a young age. So, yeah, very, very excited for his progress. Who's who's the funniest person in the squad? I'd have to go back to probably William O'Donnell again. Yeah, um, yeah, he's a he's a great guy, and I think I, again he's another one that's really impressed me. You know, um, I, I knew I actually, funny enough, I think when I was with Auckland, it was Robbie would have been about seventeen. Mm. Um, so for him to now be captain, and then his younger brother coming through as well, it's. Um, it definitely feels that I've—I I can tell I've got a lot older, but um, but he's going to be a top player as well. You know, he's and I, I like him. He's got that enough about him. He's confident, um, funny guy. But it's not just arrogance. It's actually just confidence. And I think you know you need that as a batter, and especially if you're going to go up to the next level. Um, for someone like William, I think he uses his humour well, along with um, a lot of determination as a cricketer. Yeah, really impressive run last year. I think in, in the Ford Trophy. I think from memory. And uh, mm. who's the grumpiest team or in the squad? Who's the grumpiest? Um, do you know what we're we're pretty lucky with our um, with our group actually. As far as I've known, I mean, unless they're just someone's faking because I'm new <laughs> and they're trying to impress or something, I haven't yet come across any grumpy souls. I'm sure there will be. Um, 
I know Will Somerville loves his sleep. He's obviously, you know, there's a few lads as well with, with young kids, but he's got a lot of young kids as well. So I haven't yet seen him in the early hours. But um, but no, everyone's been brilliant, actually. I, I actually can't can't give everyone on that. Yeah, probably one for, for later on in the season. And look, one more serious one before we sort of jump into a few things from your own playing days. As you mentioned before, a really successful season for Auckland in 2021-22, won the Plunkett Shield, Ford Trophy. Has the squad kind of set any specific goals for the season that you can share with us? No, do you know Do you know what? I think, you know, even when I took over, I think one thing that I've been really impressed with New Zealand cricket as a whole, but also Auckland, was actually it's more around the narrative of uh, producing cricketers for, for, the, for the Black Caps. And I think everything, all the decisions you make, everything that's spoken about is actually improving people to get that top layer um, as good as possible mm. so look we want to we want to produce as many people as we can at Auckland as a whole uh, you know be the biggest producer of talent is the is the main thing of, of goal so that's not just the people playing international but getting more of that as I spoke earlier about that wider squad getting them involved and that's something that me and Duggan are really trying to take on board is get as many players around the squad so when they get their opportunities you know one they've been used to training with us but then hopefully that gives them a better opportunity of one-up skilling around the coaches and players, but then they're ready to play. Um, but look, you know, anytime you, you start um, a new season when all three trophies are on the line, you, you want to win all three trophies. That's, of course, that's the that's the way it goes. But I think, you know, the one thing, the lessons they learned from last year was, you know, that heart, up to halfway through the season, even though it's COVID, we're, we're struggling. They're struggling the T20. And it was the way that they went about the cricket in that second half that they're trying to almost repeat. And that that's not easy to do. Um, but they've given them a bit of a blueprint of how they go about their cricket. So for us, really, especially two new coaches, we're trying to sort of harness that and keep pushing them. Um, and look, you've got everything starts again and now you're the hunted, aren't you? So um, there's going to be challenges. It's, it's not going to be that easy. But, you know, you start the season, you always want to challenge for all three trophies. Awesome. Luke, we'd be remiss not to ask a little bit about your own playing days. So um, we've got a listenership, I guess. We've got a, a Palm, a couple of Kiwis and an Aussie on the podcast normally. So we cover our bases um, other than the IPL, I think, in terms of our, um, our listenership. One of the things we were dead keen to ask you is we listened to the BBC Sports Strangest Crimes podcast. I don't know if you, uh, you've heard, heard that about the Stanford 2020 um, so, if, yeah, if you haven't had a listen, it's fantastic. Greg James, the Radio 1 DJ, yeah. um, hosts it and, and does a lot of uh, sort of interviews around that. Can you sort of recall that? It was obviously a crazy time in terms of the, the, the money, but what, what, a lot of drama surrounding that event now. But what are your memories from that, um, yeah, from that week in the Caribbean? Yeah, it was amazing, actually. I mean, I actually did I did, a, I did a, the, the podcast with Greg James and then did the TV version of it. And actually, it was quite good because there's a lot of stuff I'd actually forgotten about going going back. It was felt such a long time ago. But just bizarre. I mean, it, it felt strange at the time. Um, I mean, to for anyone trying to play one-off game of T20 for, for a million dollars or whatever it was at, per player, I mean, I, I still can't believe I actually did. <laughs> we did that. Um but you know, I spoke in the podcast at the time. It, we we never felt like we were going to win it anyway. The the West Indies had gone on a six week camp that Stanford had put on himself. He's obviously desperate to keep the money in the West Indies for for obvious reasons now. Um, but he just seemed so disjointed. Obviously, you know, the big guys in Flintoff and KP and these guys were obviously wanting to go to the IPL, which this was I suppose their idea of, of the ECB at the time was to keep them happy by playing these, these games. But mm. I think all in all, it was just bizarre. And I think 
the fact that we lost it, as, as much as I love the money, it would have caused so much trouble, I think, for the England players and the ECB if we had. Um, that in a way, it probably worked out you know, pretty well for us that we didn't and it, and it moved on. But um, yeah, bizarre situation. And, and when you hear more stories that he was already being in, investigated by the FBI when we're there, you know, when he was flying into Lords in a helicopter, it's just beggar's belief, really. And um, a very strange time. And was that a big night out after the game with you and the, the West Indies boys or were you uh, drowning the sorrows? Oh, it's probably the most down I've ever been after a game of cricket. I remember every time a firework went off when we were in the changing room, it was a million dollars being given to the opposition player. <laughs> it was a pretty bleak, uh, bleak night, I have to say. But um, oh, do, you, do you know what? It was it, everything was just weird about the whole situation. But um, I remember Peter Moore's actually dusting us all off and saying look lads you know remember we I think we were going off to a tour in Sri Lanka or something and he said look you're all about to still be you're all being picked for England you're all going off on a tour you know move on pretty quickly you know it's nothing to be too down about and then obviously everything came came to light pretty soon after but um yeah it was yeah all in all quite a bizarre few weeks well look we'll move on to perhaps happier memories and, and stay on the T T twenty theme. You were a World Cup winner in twenty ten. Um I guess T twenty at that point was still relatively new from an international perspective. I I still remember that um Lippy, the, the Australia New Zealand game where you played in the sort of comedy costumes with the big Mo's and everything yeah. like that. But um what what did it feel like in that tournament? What a couple of years after the IPL had started? Was it really a genuine format at that point? What, what do you remember about the tournament? Yeah, I, I think everyone was. I mean, the crowds were obviously getting huge at that point and, you know, everyone really bought into it. And I think, you know, it's, it was one of those, it was still, a, when I look back now, I mean, to win a World Cup, so special. I think we're on return from the West Indies when we'd won, um, it probably didn't get, as as you know probably as much traction as it would have done now obviously you know when the guys won the 50 over uh, tournament albeit the fact it was actually in our country which always helps but it was absolutely huge um but uh, i mean we, it was still celebrated it's still spoken about now but it's probably sort of the forgotten world cup in in england really and it probably gets dragged up every time now you know as we go into another 2020 world cup it gets brought up but um I, for us it, we were almost i suppose for the first time being a trailblazers in the, in the international scene for for england which was amazing and it was the first time really that england had a settled side and i think paul collingwood did an amazing job as as captain there and i think that's probably something that Owen Morgan saw from that moment that actually sticking with a bunch of guys, no matter what happened and, and actually backing them and giving them clear roles. And even if it went wrong, sticking with them again, that was the first time it ever happened for me in an England shirt and for a lot of us. And it just showed that we got into a great routine uh, and went on to win the world cup. And I think from that moment, it probably kickstarted a lot of our white ball in England, which was the, which was the amazing bit. And, you know, and then Morgs obviously eventually became captain and, and England now powerhouse in white ball cricket. And I think a lot of it probably came from from that World Cup, which is amazing, really. Yeah. Do, do you ever sort of look back and wish you'd have been maybe five years later down that sort of franchise cricketing journey? Because you'd be a billionaire by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> playing um, all, all those all those leagues around the world, if that, you know. You know, coming in, in 2015, maybe? I think I'm a massive one for, for you know, for not having regrets with things like that. That You know, I, if I'd have been offered a World Cup at any point in my career, I mean, as a kid, hitting a ball in, in, a, in a sock on a piece of rope in the back garden thinking I was going to win a World Cup, I wouldn't have certainly been going, oh, I wish it was just five years <laughs> later. 
Um, and I think that he's, everything's relative, isn't it? At the time, you know, the, the franchise cricket was still great money. England was good money. But look, it moves on. You only have to ask, you know, someone like Alan Shearer in Premier League football now, you know, what would he have earned now and what transfers? But it's all relative. So, um, no, good on the guys for, for getting them what they do now. But uh, no, I certainly wouldn't change it for all the world of, of the experience and winning in the West Indies with all the Barmy Army around there and, and a night out in Barbados to celebrate a World Cup was uh, was pretty close to being perfect, really, especially and, and obviously beating the Australians as well in the final. It was it was pretty epic. Fantastic. And you mentioned it um, just a, a minute or two ago, the 2022 World Cup, obviously just about to, to kick off. In fact, kicked off today with the, the preliminary tournament. Who are your predictions for this current T20 World Cup? Can you, can you see past Australia on home soil? Well, I think England and Australia, I think England um, lot are always going to be there and thereabouts. Um, you know, they're, they're so strong. I think their preparation, obviously, to go and play Australia in Australia couldn't have been better leading into a World Cup. On um, And obviously, playing the way they did um, will give them a huge amount of confidence and they're, they're used to the conditions, etc. But no, I, the one thing in knockout tournaments, it's it's so hard to predict, isn't it? And you only have to look at those, well, the games that have already been happening to qualify for the for the Super um, super groups is is already causing upsets. Um, and in T20, I mean, you know, I've been there myself. I'm going back to the World Cup. We were nearly knocked out by Ireland, you know, when we won it. If it wasn't for the rain, I think we would have been knocked out. So um, it, things just, you need a bit of luck to go your way. You need the right people in the right form. And on any given day, you look at every international team um, and if any of those number of players come off against you, you can lose quite easily. But look, I think England and Australia are definitely going to be up there. I'd love to see New Zealand, um, obviously, after being with them, um, get close and, and, and win it this time. Um, but yeah, I think it's you know it's going to be so tough with, with so many good sides. Who knows? Um, it's who gets in form early enough and gets on that run, I suppose. Yeah, look, um, I want to change tack a little bit to, to some of the, the T20 League stuff because I feel like you're sort of the, the perfect person to answer this question for me, especially you mentioned before about your, you know, your directorship of sport kind of um, background now as well. You, I mean, you played in all these T20 leagues sort of in a, at a time where international boards were, were really hesitant about kind of letting players into them. Then sort of the phrase T20 mercenary became a popular one. And, but now we've got South Africa structuring their international calendar around T20 leagues. You know, barely any cricket clashes with the IPL. There's the 100 BBL. You know, Mumbai is trying to become a global franchise now. What do you think all of this stuff now means for international cricket? And, and how can kind of the two coexist? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And I think, you know, I look back. Um, I mean, my first experience with the IPL was getting a call from Sachin Tendulkar and I thought it was one of my mates taking the mick out of me. <laughs> and um, he, I remember him asking me to go and join them at Mumbai Indians and then ringing um, ECB and asking the question, am I allowed to go? And I was told if I went to the IPL, that would be me never playing for England again. Wow. So I sort of look back, I look back now and think, geez, you know, these guys are encouraged. And, and rightly so, I mean, the one thing I'll say about franchise cricket is I think what has changed is you used to have to play international cricket to get picked for franchise. Mm. And that's how I sort of did it, played for England, and then you get picked up in the big bash or et cetera. What we're seeing now is a lot of international teams are picking guys off the back of franchise cricket and they're getting in earlier. You know, they're, they're getting off the back of domestic cricket with their strike rates or being seen on TV, whacking it. You only have to look at Finn Allen, you know, Phil Salt, 
Liam Livingston, you sort of go through all these names and actually they're, they're, a lot of them are in these franchises way before they're getting picked in, in international teams. So the one thing that franchise cricket does do, which I'll always um, sort of support it for, it upskills you. You know, you're rubbing shoulders with some of the best in the world, all different conditions, uh, under pressure, you know, whether it's IPL, huge, huge pressure, sometimes more than international cricket, you know, the crowds, the money, etc. Um, so that side of it's great. I think, Obviously, there is overkill as well. There seems to be tournaments popping up all the time, which is the really tough thing. Um, so I think there has to be some sort of some give and take. And I think that's where England are lucky and Australia are lucky in the sense that, one, they can play the players on these central contracts very, very well to help keep them. But they've still had to have give and take to allow the big tournaments, IPLs, etc. And then in and around it, let the guys go and play these tournaments as long as it doesn't clash too much. I suppose the hard thing from, you know, New Zealand board or South Africa is, you know, the money's not there as, as going to be as strong. So to keep hold of these players, and that's going to, that's a real difficult challenge. And obviously we're seeing that already with, with some of the older guys who are, are choosing to go down that route. And I completely understand that. And it's just trying to get the balance. You know, we want to see the Bolts and the Grand Homes playing for New Zealand as much as we can. But it might just not be as much as as we were used to. But for me, I, you still want to go into World Cups and picking your best players, and um, you know, and, and it's a real balance. How do you balance that? You know, what, the challenge would be if if you know someone like a, a Finn Allen at his age decided to do it, then that's a, that's a worry. Um, and I don't think I don't think that would happen. I think these guys are desperate to play for New Zealand, and I know someone like Finn Allen is desperate to to have a long career of playing for New Zealand. But it, there is going to have to be give and take. And it sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but I think all, all teams are realising that. Um, but it's just what cost, isn't it? And, and which, which tours do they miss and, and how you structure it. But that's, that's a difficult one to, to really get, you know, to get stuck into. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Fascinating topic. And it's going to be really interesting the next sort of, yeah, three or four or five years and how it all develops. I mean, just, just quickly, I guess you mentioned the IPL there. What was your experience of the IPL like? You did get there with Pune in the end. We kind of used to hear stories of the the IPL with those epic parties and uh, all the stuff going on, but sort of everyone that we talk to now kind of goes, "Oh no, nah, that was before I got there." Was it before before you got there, or did you get to manage to enjoy some of that? <laughs> I got the back end of it actually. Um, I played in the game. I somehow got away with it with my bowling figures, but I played in the game when Chris Gale smashed one hundred and seventy five. At Bangalore, and then um, we we had to go to a party. It was like a some sort of catwalk party, or they got some. I don't know exactly know what it was, but it was pretty much just the Gale and Coley show. So we'd we'd just been smacked around Bangalore <laughs> all in the game, and then we had to sit and have a party and watch those boys basically dance all evening, <laughs> celebrating. But um, yeah, it was. I mean, some of the things, like I say, going back to IPL. I mean, the crowds and. Um, the people you're playing with, you know, I was playing with sort of Uvaraj, I was playing with Ross Taylor, I was playing with Angelo Matthews, just to name a few. You know, you could you go on and on and on with names that you've played with. Um, and it's things, you know, I, I wasn't particularly good at facing left arm spin. And I remember really struggling with Uvaraj and I was just talking to him about, you know, facing spin out in India and etc. And mm. a lot of my cricket, actually, I became a far better player after a lot of my big bash stint and my um, IPL stint. And, you know, I wish I'd probably had another another crack I did a lot better my second stint and actually did a lot better for in the T20 when I went back in and I think if you know as we said earlier no regrets but I was a, definitely a better player um, after those experiences and I think you know that's for going back to these younger guys that are getting in 
they're learning on the job some of the best lessons that people like myself as a coach, you know, they're hard to to pass on. But when you're in the change room with all these guys, all these superstars, learning in the nets, et cetera, as you bat in the other end with them, that's that's the real learning and, and that's why it's invaluable. And if you can earn a load of money like some of them do along the way, then how good's that? You know, it's perfect. Mm. And um, bring it back to the, the BBL and, and closer to home. Stephen Fleming was your coach at the Melbourne Stars. Well, obviously in New Zealand podcast we would love to kind of hear your your thoughts on him he's obviously held in really really high regard here for his for his cricket brain what what was it like being sort of in the dressing room with him and him kind of leading leading the the dressing room I sort of can't imagine him shouting or anything it feels like he must be the calmest person in the world but yeah I'd love to hear what your thoughts are no I mean in fairness to Flem, I think he's the best I've ever worked with um I know that um Kevin Peterson had him in high regard um, as well. And I think he, when he took over the Stars, we, you know, we had a lot of, um, you know, international players. We had some huge names as well, like I said, with people like Kevin Peterson along the way. And and um, he managed him brilliant. I mean, I'd seen Kev for years, obviously, with all his stuff kicking off with with England and, and how he was managed, etc. But Flem was the, the best I'd ever seen and make him happy. And he got real buy-in from him. And um, I think he just had that calmness. Even though he didn't shout very often, you, you had the respect for him because you knew he could have one in. And um, but what he what he was very clever at is man managing, and that's what he was brilliant at. And going back to someone like Kev, Kev was an unbelievable trainer, but only when he wanted to train, which was fair enough. But if you made him train when he didn't want to train, then you don't get a great <laughs> Kevin Peterson. But what he did to him was made it very clear to everyone: look, you know, we're all here to win the big bash. It's not about the other person. If they want to train, they'll train. If they don't want to train, they won't train. But that shouldn't affect you. Mm. Get your own preparations right. When we have our team time, we'll be a team time. But he basically almost made it, you know, an open book. You know, Kev, do you want to train tomorrow? Yes or no? Completely up to you. If you do, let me know what you need. And that just was huge buy-in, you know, for Kevin Peterson. And sometimes, you know, we'd go to Perth and um, Kev hated going too early, two days before the Perth game. Whereas normally we'd all go. And again, he said, well, look, if you want to come a day out early, that's up to you. As long as it's all about performance, if you can perform to your best out there and it helps you by coming a day later, then do that. And I think instantly he got huge respect from all the lads that he was treating everyone like grown-ups, had the respect. But on the same token, when someone's giving you that much rope, you you put in all the extra effort to make sure you, you're not taking the mick. And I think he was brilliant at that. I'd love him to see him doing some international cricket at some point, as well as franchise, I'm sure. Most Kiwis would love to see him doing something with New Zealand if that was ever possible. Yeah. And I, I'd love to see that as well. Um, but yeah, he's he's a superstar of a coach. Nice. And um, and look, you would have also played with, with Shane Warne at the Stars, I think. It, it still feels very strange to be talking about him in the, the past tense. But um, I mean, did he have an, an aura for you, I guess, as, as a teammate? It's sort of, um, you know, it feels like some of these larger-than-life characters. I mean, you named Kevin Peterson there, I guess, for us as, as fans a bit of that, but maybe, maybe not for you as someone from England, but you know, what was, what was it like, I guess, walking into the dressing room and and there's Shane Warne? Yeah. I mean, I'd put it down as, um, you know, it's the, it's the highlight of my career was playing with Shane Warne. I mean, I never thought, I never thought I was going to be, ever be an overseas in Australia either, but to be, you know, an overseas player playing for the Melbourne stars around, you know, Brad Hodge and Dave Hussey and Cameron White and, and all these guys. I mean, Malinga, we had all these, we had this huge, amazing team. Yeah. And then to play with Shane Warne was just, I mean, 
I, it, you're always in awe of him, and it, it didn't feel real playing with him. Um, and he was awesome. He was awesome around the team. It shocked me how hard he worked, especially coming back out of retirement. I thought it was going to be a bit of a, could be a bit of a gimmicky thing, but he was so determined to do well. Um, and you always see he's absolutely loved his, you know, his cricket knowledge and everything was amazing. But mm. just to actually see him play in Australia was just something. I'll, you know, I tell stories to the lads all the time, talking about. Adi Ashok, he's asking me all the time about things Warney did, but every ground we played at would be sold out because everyone wanted to see Warney another time. And then whenever he'd come on to bowl, like the whole, everybody in the stadium would stand up and they're all bowing, shouting Warney. And mm. and then he'd deliver. And obviously that thing he did, you know, the ball he did to uh, to Brendan McCullum sure. when he was live on TV talking through it. And uh, there were, he, just had, he just had something special. And I think seeing him, whether it was out at a restaurant or a night out or in the changing room or whatever it was, he just he just had an aura about him. Um, but yeah, he, you know, obviously devastating to see, you know, to, to lose him. And I sometimes wish, I wish people told him how much he means to them or all the things he'd done for cricket. And mm. I'm sure he knew some of them, but I think the outpouring, it's a shame he didn't realise probably it was quite as big as that because, um, you know, it meant the world to him. But he was amazing, absolute legend. And uh, he looked after me really, really well as an overseas player. Luke, we're going to jet back up to, to England. So we're going to travel 14,000 miles or so. And we're into the home stretch now. Lots going on in the English domestic um, game, particularly the structural review that's just been undertaken. I guess you started your career with with Leicestershire and then moved on to, to Sussex, so not test ground counties. Um, and lots and lots being talked about now with the effect that this review might have on the English game. What, what's your perspective on the, the changes that have been suggested? And I guess particularly now that that review is all about high performance and you're in a role that's now designed upon high performance as well yeah I think it's a difficult one I mean I, I think that the back when I was at Leicester and then at Sussex obviously still at Sussex we've had a eras and times where Leicester were winning championships when I was growing up through the age groups and then when I was at Sussex um, we had a huge period of success for for 10-15 years of my 20-year career it's probably only been the last five years when we've struggled a little bit especially in four-day cricket but so uh, you know going through those eras and, and seeing the way that we had to do things slightly different, et cetera, was, was awesome to see those teams compete. But I think what you're seeing now is the test grounds have just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and, you know, obviously now all the, you know, any budding players getting close to playing England tend to go and want to go to, to the test grounds. And obviously the hundred now is, is a sort of aligned. They're not aligned, but they are sort of aligned with the test grounds as well. So there's definitely becoming, um, getting it harder and harder for the smaller counties. And I think you only have to look at the league tables to, to realise that. So um, I think there has to be change. Um, it, it is so difficult because, you know, still taking someone like a Sussex at the moment, we've had probably three or four years of being pretty dire at, at four-day cricket, um, but we're still managing to produce players, which is what obviously counties there for. So we've had Ollie Robinson, we had Chris Jordan, we had Joffre Archer. Mm. We've now got Tom Haynes, who's sort of on the radar. We've got a young player, Carson, who's a young off spinner who the England are looking at as well. So even through our sort of toughest times results-wise, we're still actually producing players. Um, so, you know, you've got to be careful not to... To, to ruin the counties or turn them into minor counties. But then on the same token, you do want um, County Creek to be as strong as possible and those guys to get as close as they can for the, for the next level. So getting those top teams, if it's top six and three groups, I'm actually all for that. I think that's, that's good. Um, I think that you need to have 
relegation promotion because you've got to give teams like Leicester and, and Sussex a, a carrot to try and get up into that into that sixth league into that top league because otherwise you will lose your players you know I'm, I'm pretty realistic I think selectors and you know McCollum and everyone you're going to be looking at though that top league as your as your top one to pick your players out of it doesn't mean it can only be that but this it's you know it's just natural the way it's going to be so I think there's I think they're pretty they're getting close to getting somewhere near what it should look like I think it's just tinkering with it and I know a lot of counties don't want to lose cricket as much but I think it'll end up in a in some sort of compromise, you know, instead of it going from 16 or 14 to 10, it might go to 12. Um, and I think the Blast are desperate not to lose games in that for, for financial reasons, um, which I completely get from from a director's head on and for counties, they need that funding. Um, so I think it will it will look pretty much how they've probably stated or Strauss has stated, but I think there'll just be some compromise around the actual amounts of games is, is where it's probably going to change. Fantastic. Luke, we'll finish um, with a quick uh, quick fire round, which we do with pretty much all of our guests. So we'll give you um, heads up. We're going to ask that cliche question of the best sledge you've ever heard or been part of, but we'll, we'll leave that to later in the rundown to give you a little bit of time to uh, to get your thinking cap on. But um, if you think back through your own career, your, your fam- favourite performance with bat or ball or, or maybe both? Um, I think it had to be I, lucky enough to get 100 against the Renegades in front of, a, I think it was 80 odd thousand at the MCG, which, um, you know, that was that was a that was the specialist moment on as as, as an individual getting runs as a performance. Um, that had to be it, you know, obviously World, World Cup as a team, but individual, it'd have to be that 100. Fantastic. Well, you, you've mentioned uh, the, the World Cup. Um, let's move on to, to teammates. So who's your favourite teammate across all the teams you've, you've played for and why? Um, well, I'm actually... Um, so we've got Adam Zampers, one of, ended up being one of my best friends. He's godfather to my youngest child, um, Harry. So um, I'd probably... I'd, I think I'll have to go with him. Um, and he's done awesome as well. He's, he's some of the stuff he's doing. And I've sort of seen him go from playing at the stars as a young buck to, to being one of the best leg spinners in the world. So that's been awesome. And he's a mean barista, isn't he, as well, apparently? He's a what, sorry? He's a mean barista. He makes a good coffee. He does, yeah. Table, he apparently. was just getting into that, actually, as, as COVID was striking. So I haven't seen him for a while, so I'm due one. But yeah, he's, uh, I've seen his bits on Instagram with Stoyness and the Love Cafe and, and all that malarkey. <laughs> but they're great lads. They're really good people, so... All right, we're going to go converse to your best teammate. Who's the most annoying person you ever played with? Who's that, you know, the dressing room prankster that you want to avoid? Um, Swanee. Graham Swan was pretty annoying in a great way. Like, he was funny and non-stop, but then on the same token, you know, he just wouldn't stop. So, <laughs> you almost, by the end of it, would just, you'd do your head in. But then he's a great lad. He's so funny. He comes across a lot of that on, on his commentary. Don't he? He's the same. Just never, never stops. Yeah. Gag after gag. But, um, yeah, sometimes you had, you, you had to lock yourself away from the room just to get uh, half the day away from him before you go back in for more. Um, what's your favourite ground? And we'll go outside of England. Um, I think it's got to be the MCG just for, for those memories I've got. Um, you know, as you said, going back to playing with Warren in front of some of those huge crowds. Um, the Marlon Samuels moment that I had with, with him and Morty, um still makes me laugh when I saw it. But um, yeah, there's so many good memories I had at the MCG. I think it would have to be that. Awesome. You mentioned a bit of banter there, Marlon Samuels and, and Shane Warren, but what's the best sledge you've heard or been a part of? Oh, um, 
we actually we actually had a he played for, he played for Auckland actually and and played for Sussex a lad called Craig Chopper. Um, don't you remember the name? And um, fair to say he's, he's a great lad and he was a seriously talented cricketer. But he uh, he also carried a a little bit of of weight on him. And I remember Jimmy Anderson coming back to play for Lancashire and uh, Chops waddled out at number four. And uh, Jimmy Anderson just very nicely said to him, um, how have you got in the team? Did you eat the previous number four or what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and was there a retort from, from Kachopa there? Or did he, yeah, did he just mark down and get Well, I think it? I remember him saying that he was so ter- determined to go and smack him everywhere. But I think he, <laughs> he nicked him off after about. <laughs> 10 balls or something but that's the problem with Jimmy Anderson he's um, he can back it up can't he he's bloody annoying he's, when he's playing against you because he abuses the living crap out of all of you, you know, and everyone but then he backs it up and gets you out anyway so yeah it's um, he's he's unbelievable so yeah it was quite funny and I enjoyed that one Fantastic look we'll sign off on a, a relatively serious note when you, when you kind of look back on your, your playing career what's what's been the highlight what's uh, yeah what's the sort of the first line of the epitaph I know it's probably a bit cliche, but a lot of it actually comes back to probably people rather than just the cricket. I mean, the cricket memories are amazing, but I mean, I look around now, you know, talking about franchise stuff, you know, even opportunities over here. There's, I've pretty much got to play with so many of the best players in the world around all different cultures and backgrounds. And um, I think the friends I've ended up having from all around the world um, has been the real special thing of playing international cricket. I mean, I've done something that lots of people dream of, of doing. Um, and I think it's, for me, it's the people that I got to meet and be, you know, friends for life with um, post cricket, because as all of us, and I explain to the lads a lot when home with now is, you know, we're only cricketers for a small period of time. And then, and then we move on and, you know, whether it's fans asking for autographs, people soon forget who you are and you're back to being the person and, and, and it's all about people. And, and that's why for me, it's been able to give back now as a, a player you lose that ego of any uh, as a player and you're trying to help the next one and, and pass, I suppose, pass it on, pass the shirt on, as they say, and leave it in a better place. And that's for me now as a coach or director or whatever I am in cricket. Um, I'd love to do that to help, to help people and keep growing the game. Well, look, it's been an absolute um, pleasure to, to talk uh, with you. Um, listeners of the show, look out for plenty more episodes coming up over the next few weeks and months. We are going to be talking with domestic um, players and coaches from all around the different provinces. So uh, Jeet Raval and Dean Foxcroft on your feed shortly. And then this one, obviously, will be following that. We'll also be chatting regularly about the T20 World Cup and our Cricketing Hall of Fame. You'll find details how to contact us in the show notes. We do appreciate everyone who takes the time to give us a like, a share or a subscribe. But Luke, thanks very much for joining us on the Top Order podcast. Um, and to our listeners, thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thanks a lot. Good night.